Good morning. Wonderful to see everybody this morning. Glad you're here. I wanted to start with a story. Um, Scott's girlfriend, Tracy, once told me about a roommate. They were, they were three roommates in, this, in their house. And out in the backyard was a beautiful plum tree. And this beautiful plum tree happened to be filled with plums this day. And so one of the roommates decided that she was going to pull the plums and she was just going to give them to everybody. But quickly realizing once you pick them, they can go bad quickly. So she decided she was going to dry them. So she spent time washing them, cleaning them, drying them, days, because it takes a long time to dry a whole fruit. So about three days later, Tracy said, all of a sudden they hear a scream come out of the kitchen. And they go running in there, look at her, and she said, prunes! I made prunes! I can't give prunes to people! How often do we run ahead of God and do things our own way, or we don't even consult God, or worse yet, we're fighting with God because we don't want to do what he asked to, and we end up making prunes. And this, the scripture I wanted to look at this morning, um, I love to pick out scriptures that a lot of people may just read over and kind of pass over, and you don't really stop to meditate on them, think on them, or study on them. So I picked this morning Genesis 29 and some of 30. Um, it is the story of Jacob and Leah and, of course, beautiful Rachel. So I'm going to start there. Um, one thing I do want to say is, you know, I believe this Bible, every word's in here for a reason, and I have stuff all over the place, but every word's in here for a reason. I believe every story is in here for a reason. I believe that even the insignificant little things, there's something very important that we can learn from them. And that's why I was so drawn to this story. Let me give you the backstory. This is a perfect um, soap opera. Let's put it like that. This would make a great soap opera, As the World Turns or The Young and the Restless or something like that. Because Jacob... If you don't know, Jacob had a twin brother, Esau. Well, Esau was actually the firstborn. Jacob grabbed his heel as he was coming out of the womb, and Jacob actually means heel snatcher. But Jacob was a conniver. He connived to get things his own way. And he managed to steal his brother's birthright and the blessing, which was given to the firstborn. So Jacob is not in real good shape with his brother Esau. Esau's kind of angry at him, so he decides to get out of Dodge. And he might as well go find a wife while he's at it. So he is, set it, he is headed 400 miles away to his uncle Laban's, where he figures num it'll solve two problems. He can go find a wife among his own people, and he can get away from his brother. So he's traveling 400 miles away. Okay. Jacob continued on his journey, and he came to the land of the eastern people. There he saw the field where three flocks of sheep were lying, Near it, because the flocks watered in that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large, and when the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well and water the sheep. They would return the stone over the mouth of the well. Well, what happens is they don't want the well to get contaminated, so they take this giant rock and they put it over the mouth of it, and then they will roll it away when they want to water them and put it back. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? And they said, we're from Haran, which is where he was headed, so that was good. 
And he said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? And they said, yes, we know him. Is he well? Jacob asked. Yes, he is. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. And so, now this is paraphrasing a bit. Jacob looks and can see Rachel off from a distance, and she's looking pretty good. So he, he looks at these other men that are, you know, why are they hanging around the well? And he's going, you know, this is the time, you know, the sun is high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Um, water the sheep and get them back to pasture. In other words, get out of here because I want to be with her by myself. So they said, well, here comes the daughter, okay. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well, then we water the sheep. In other words, we really want to see Rachel because she's beautiful and we're waiting for her. So while he's talking to him, Rachel came up with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over, I love this, and rolled the stone away. So all of a sudden, this, he becomes this he-man, and he rolls that stone away. See, Rachel? I can roll this stone away all by myself. You notice that? But then this really cracks me up. He rolls it away from the mouth of the well, waters his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kisses Rachel, which he probably did a welcome kiss. And then he began to weep aloud. I think God has a great sense of humor. Okay, he-man one minute, crying the next. Okay. Um, let's see. Then he kisses her. Okay, he told Rachel who he was. He was a relative of her father, the son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister Sonny hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said, you are my own flesh and blood. Now, Laban did not know Jacob. They lived 400 miles away, but he knew his sister, Rebekah, had married Isaac, which was his father, which was Jacob's father. When they married, they gave him, they gave Rachel, or excuse me, gave Rebekah very expensive gifts of gold and silver and new clothing. So he knew that Jacob's family was rich. So he was very well glad to welcome him into the family. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said, just because you're a relative of mine, you should, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages would be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. I've looked up commentaries. Weak eyes. Some say maybe she had blue eyes. Maybe she had runny eyes. Maybe she was partially blind. Personally, I think she was ugly. I only say that because the next statement, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Now tell me, if it had been about her eyes, they would have said, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had 20-20. Just saying. Just saying. Jacob was in love with Rachel, and he said, I will work for her for seven years in, in exchange for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served for seven years to get Rachel, but it seemed like only a few days to him because he was in love with her. Then, obviously, seven years passed, and Jacob says to Laban, give me my wife. My time's completed. I want to lie with her. 
So Laban brought together all the people and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant, probably because he felt a little guilty. Now, you may wonder what the heck happened here. But in the Jewish tradition, the bride is covered from head to toe in complete veil. You cannot see them. And it's dark. And there probably was a lot of wine at the feast. But the next morning, when morning came, there was Leah. Can you imagine Jacob going, whoa? <laughs> There's a life verse for you. Oh, dear. <laughs> and so... He goes to Laban and he says, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? You have deceived me. So the deceiver has all of, all of a sudden become the deceivee. Laban replied, it is not our custom to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. And if you read the King James Version, it says, it is not our, uh, uh, we don't give the firstborn and with that word firstborn, I wonder if Jacob kind of went, ouch, I cheated the firstborn out of everything he was supposed to get. Anyway, finish the bridal's week, the, my, this daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years' work. So basically, Leah will be married for seven days, and then all of a sudden, wife number two shows up. By the way, I want to put a footnote in here. This was not God's desire. It was never God's desire to have more than one wife. You notice this was Laban and this was Jacob. Uh, Genesis 2.24 says that, you know, man will leave husband and wife join and cleave to his wife and they become one flesh, not two flesh, not three flesh, not four flesh, not seven flesh. They will become one. It was never God's idea because no man can serve two masters. Oh, God. <laughs> Took him a while to get that. Did you notice that? <laughs> but, you know, the wisest man ever known, um, Solomon, it cracks me up because Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Never God's design. But that also meant the wisest man in the world had 1,000 mother-in-laws. That's one you can ask him about in heaven. That would be pretty interesting. He did say, you know, he did wander towards the end of his life. I mean, he was messed up with that many women in his life. And at the end of his life, he came back and wrote Ecclesiastes where everything except God is the chasing after the wind. You can certainly understand why he said that. So, let's see. And Jacob did so, let's see, and Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, and actually, if you look in the King James Version again, that is rendered, Leah was hated. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Reuben means see a son. She was hoping that her husband would love her after she gave him a son. 
She conceived again and gave birth to a son. Because the Lord has heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too, and she named him Simeon, which means the Lord has heard. This poor woman is just dying for attention from her husband. And she conceived and gave birth to a son. Now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons, and she named him Levi, which means join. I just feel so sorry for her. And again, she conceived, and she gave birth to a son, and this time she said, I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, which means praise. Then she stopped having children. Basically, she realized Jacob was never going to love her, and she finally said, you know what, Lord, it's just you and me. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to thank you that I now have these sons. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. And so she said to Jacob, give me children or I will die. Now, I can relate to this a little bit. You know, Bill and I couldn't have kids for five years. We couldn't have kids. We tried every way possible to have kids. I took my temperature every day, took fertility pills, had all those horrible tests done in the hospital by a lab technician, and you're not in a very ladylike position. People are walking in and out. The janitor was buffing the floor. And I begged, and I begged, and I begged God for a baby. Well, I'm here to tell you God has a wonderful sense of humor because we gave up. We put in a pool. Uh, we bought a house, put in a pool, and I was pregnant for six straight years. God has a great sense of humor. But poor Leah, you have to understand back then, being barren was actually a curse. It was considered you are cursed if you don't have children. You know when you grew, when you grew old, your children are the ones that took care of you. Generally, the men usually died before the women. Women, especially Jewish women, they did not own property. So if you did not have a family to take care of you, and you didn't have your children or a husband or someone didn't take pity on you and take you in, you could very well be on the streets. So it was considered to be, um, you're cursed if you don't have kids. So she, goes, she says to Jacob, if you don't give me kids, I'm going to die. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Look. Rachel, I've had four kids with your ugly sister. Don't blame me. It's not my fault. Then she said, now, she's going to fix the problem. She said, here's Bilhah, my maidservant. Sleep with her so she can bear children for me, and through her I can build a family. That was a custom back then. That wasn't so unusual. It was not God's design, but it had been a custom. So she gave him her servant Bilhah to wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. And she named him Dan, which means judge. In other words, God has judged me worthy, and he's given me a son. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great wrestling with my sister or struggle with my sister. I have won. So she named him Naphtali, which means wrestle. So in other words, in this competition, this is the battle of the babies. With this competition, they are fighting with each other to see who's going to have the most kids. And poor Naphtali got stuck with that name. 
When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she's going to fix it now, she took Zilpah her, and gave her to Jacob as his wife. And Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. When Leah said, what good fortune, and she named him Gad, which means troops. So here come the troops. Here comes the cavalry. I'm having more kids. I said, this is a soap opera. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, how happy I am. The women will call me happy. And she named him Asher, which means happy. She was thankful she was happy. I love that name. If I had another kid, I'd know there'd be a star in the east. Never mind. I name him Asher. <laughs> During the wheat harvest, Reuben went out. Now, Reuben, remember, is Leah's first son, went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son mandrakes. And I thought, what is a mandrake? Mandrake was a very rare plant back then, and it grew low, almost like a strawberry plant. And the plant itself was called love apples as well, because it was supposed to be an aphrodisiac, and the, and the a root of it was almost like a carrot, and it was actually supposed to help with fertility. So no wonder Rachel went to Leah and said, give me the mandrakes. Um, but she said, wasn't it enough you took my husband? Will you take my son Mandrakes also? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for the Mandrakes. So Rachel is trying to fix things again. So when Jacob came in from the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must sleep with me tonight, she said. I have hired you with my son's Mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. And I love this. Rachel tries to fix it, and Leah gets pregnant. God listened to Leah. She became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my maidservant to my husband, and she named him Issachar, which means wages. So basically, she bought him. Crazy stuff. Leah again bore Jacob a sixth son, and Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time, my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons, and she named him Zebulun, which means honor and gifts. She wanted her husband's honor so desperately, but it just didn't work. Sometime later, she gave birth to, I love this, this is the, like a little footnote at the bottom. Sometime later, she gave birth to Dinah, the only girl. In the Jewish family, which I was raised in, um, girls are virtually not important, it's, it's all been, it was always the men, it was always the boys, as it was in my mother's family. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her, opened her womb, and she became pregnant, finally, and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. And she named him Joseph, which means, may the Lord add to me another son. And that's where we get to the heart of the whole story. Beautiful, beautiful Rachel. Um, she was always the center of attention. She was gorgeous. I mean, the shepherds waited for her to see her. She was beautiful. But Rachel now is not the center of attention. In fact, she's, she's feeling horrible about herself. She feels like she's cursed. And what does she do? She finally gets that son, beautiful Rachel, who always had everything, finally gets the son she's always wanted. And what does she name him? Add, give me more. God, this is not enough. I need more. And how true is it of us 
You know, we demand things or we want things or we buy things and we always want more. Isn't that the way it is? I mean, you always want more. I want to look at two important parts to, that relate to this story to me. For any of us that are looking for a solution to our desperate need for something and sometimes we aren't even sure what that is. Number one, don't look to the wrong person. And that's what they were doing. They were looking to Jacob. Don't look to the wrong person. You can't have a friend, a spouse, a pastor fill that need that you have in your life. There's only one that can do that. And you know, John the Baptist was asked who he was. He answered by saying who he wasn't. He said, I am not the one you're looking for. I am not the Savior. My job is to point you to the one who is the Savior because that's the only one that can fill that need in your heart. When we look to the spouse, specifically those of us married, a lot of us look to the spouse to be everything in our life. You know what? We suck the life out of them because they can't fill that part. They cannot be everything to us. When the person doesn't meet your need, you become depressed, angry, in some cases, maybe divorced. But see, that hole can be filled by Jesus and only Jesus. And when Jesus fills that hole, he never, he never disappoints. You know, God created every one of us with this hole in our heart, which cannot be satisfied by anything but God. People, how many of us, we look to a better house, a better job, um, a newer car, a boat, something, um, a newer version of something. I mean, look, at we're on iPhone 13 because 1 through 12 isn't good enough. That's always the way we are. Don't look now, but we're making prunes. Romans 8.20, this is the King James Version, says, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Meaning, the creature, which is you and me, was made subject to vanity or emptiness, not willingly, we don't want to be empty, but by reason of him, by God's design who subjected us to the same in hope. In other words, God created us like that so we would turn to him. He put that there, that empty spot, so we could fill it with him. You know, Leah finally gave up and appreciated the fact that she had beautiful children. Whether Jacob loved her or not, she praised God. And by way of a footnote, if you read further on, you'll find out Rachel... Uh, was buried beside the road on the way to Bethlehem. Leah was buried with the ancestors. The only way to stay truly satisfied is to stay close to God, to stay dependent on him and to love him passionately. Sunday morning Christianity is not going to fill that void. Our hunger in our heart can only be filled by the Holy Spirit. It can only be filled by God an ever-deepening relationship with him. And I know I really appreciate Pastor John that keeps trying to get us into the Word because we need to be reading our Bibles daily. Get a devotional, something. And once you start, it becomes a habit. It becomes a habit. I cannot get out of bed in the morning without reading some of a portion of the Bible. I, go, I start from Genesis and go through. But you've just got to read some of it. And it becomes a habit, and it becomes a hunger in your heart. 
How would your relationship be with your spouse if you talked to him once a week? I mean, if I went to Bill and said, hey, Bill, I want to have a conversation. He said, uh, it's only Saturday. You've got to wait till tomorrow. Yeah, we wouldn't be going on 48 years. God wants to have a real relationship with you. He wants, he waits for you. He waits to hear you. He, you know, when you start to pray, he will quiet heaven to listen to you. That's how precious you are to him. So precious that he gave his life for you. The second one is asking in the wrong fashion. Rachel demanded God give her more. And you know what? She did have one more son, and she died in childbirth. But such is also the name it and claim it that you hear now. The, uh, you know, the pastors that tell you, well, just demand it from God. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be famous. God wants you to have everything you've ever wanted. Really? What happened to the apostles? What happened to the millions that have been martyred for Christ? I don't think they were healthy and wealthy. To me, that's ludicrous. I actually had a friend who had gone through, um, had gone through seminary, and he was driving a very expensive car he wanted to brag about and told me that he had an $800 a month car payment. I went, really? You know, he says, well, yeah, God wants me to have it. Really? Oh, yeah, and I've got a $500 Gucci wallet right here. God wants, God wants to bless me with everything. I'm going, have you really ever read the Bible? Ever? Oh, my gosh. God does not want us to be happy. God wants us to be joyful. God wants us to be thankful. Happiness comes and goes. Joyful and thankful sticks no matter what you're going through. I've said this before, you know, if you think by becoming a Christian your life is going to be easy, I hate to tell you, uh-uh, God does not promise that. He promises to be with us in the hard times. God is more interested in your eternity than he is your comfort. That is the absolute truth. He is not interested in your comfort. He's interested in your eternity. We live, what, 70, 80, maybe 90 years, a little more? But in a span of eternity, what is that? It's not even a drop in the bucket. He's more interested in your eternity than he is on how comfortable you are today. If he happens to be wonderful and blesses you with money, then you're to take it and bless others. That's what he expects you to do with it. You know, my life has shown me that the hardest times in my life have been where I have seen God the clearest. That's when he has been right next to me is when you know, when a, a doctor says, you know what, your son is dying, he's missing part of his heart. God was standing right next to us that time. God is not, in case you don't know this, God is not a vending machine. He's not Santa Claus. You don't put in your prayer and point, I want E2, and have it drop down. It doesn't work like that. Instead, God says, I will be with you always in the hard times, in the good times, but in the hard times. And if you look at Rachel... She finally has her son, finally has one son and wants more. And then she gets her second son. Always the way it is. When we want something or we crave something, we always want more. It's never good enough. When you're, I have seen a lot of rich people that all they want is more money. I do, I've never understood that. When you're looking to something or someone to meet the need of your soul, it is never enough, never will be enough. And the real irony is that Rachel got her ad, she got her second son, and she died in childbirth. 
as she was dying in childbirth, what did she say? Oh, praise God, you gave me two sons. I had, I had two sons. She's, I'm, you're amazing, Lord. Thank you for that. No, what she said is she named her son Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. So the last words on beautiful Rachel's lips was sorrow. She demanded her way, and it killed her. No one can fill that void in your soul because you were created to have a relationship, a deep, humble relationship with a living God who loved you so much. He came down to this earth and gave his life for you. The broken Rachel named her son Benoni, but the smarter Jacob changed it to Benjamin, which is son of my right hand. You know, Jesus was called the man of sorrows in Isaiah 53. But as the son of God, he sits at the father's right hand and he prays for us while he's there. Rachel said, give me children or I'll die. And Jesus said, I died for my children. Jesus said, I'm so in love with you. I'm not demanding something of you. I love you to death and I'm dying for you. Literally, if you reject Jesus, you have to step over his dead body to do so. The sins and mistakes you've made foolishly, Jesus said, I will wash away so you can live with me eternally. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't look to anybody else to fill that hole in your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't demand God do things your way. Quit making prunes. He shall direct your path. He will fill your every need. Don't trust in your own desires and plans and feelings. I've heard it said, follow your feelings, but you know, your feelings change from minute to minute. It may even depend on how many pieces of pizza you had the night before. If you rely on yourself or someone else besides Jesus, you will die with sorrow on your lips. Leah found the ultimate satisfaction in God. Jacob couldn't be what she needed, but God was. Be grateful for what God has done for you. He died eternally to save you. And do you know what? If he never does another thing for us, that's more than we deserve. Be grateful. We've got to be grateful every day for the day that God gives us and what he brings us. When you live with a thankful heart, your life will change. I wanted to close with a story that I just thought was cool. It says, there was a woman once woke up and she had three hairs on her head. And she looked in the mirror and went, wow, I think I'll braid my hair today. And she went off and she had a great day. And the next day she woke up and she had two hairs on her head. And she said, hmm, I think I'll part my hair down the middle today. And she went off and she had a great day. And the next day she woke up and she had one hair on her head and she said, wow, I think I'll have a ponytail. And she went off and had a great day. And the next day she woke up and she had no hairs and she went, yay, I don't have to mess with my hair today. And she went off and had a great day. I just pray that you can be like that. That you can realize, you know what, God has your best at heart. Quit trying to direct him. Quit making prunes. Ask him about everything. Let him direct you. And you won't die with sorrow on your lips. You will be happy. Let him be that part that fills you up. Let him fill that void in your life as only he can do. 